I want to talk to you today on, on the subject of victorious stewardship. We're in this series on victorious Christian living. And the fact is, you can't live victoriously in Christ if you don't get the stewardship thing straight. Now, you've received a letter from me uh, this week, or you should have received a letter from me this week, telling you about August the 6th. You heard about Chris, as Chris talked about it uh, in RBC3. That, and we do this every year. It's a thing called Prove the Tithe. It's not an extra offering, as my letter indicated, but it's a, a, an opportunity for all of us to tithe on the same Sunday. And we do that, and we've had incredible success over the years as people have discovered the power of obeying God's Word in their giving through tithing. And so on uh, uh, February the 6th, uh, we'll gather uh, just for a regular worship service with no special production, but we ask you uh, to tithe. It's the on- By the way, it's the only thing it's the only thing in the Bible that God said you could test him in. Did you know that? He actually tells you to test him in this area. And he says, test me and see if I'll not pour out for you or open the floodgates of heaven. And I love hearing the stories that from so many as they, they say I was nervous or I had never tithed or I knew I needed to and I started and all that kind of stuff. And so um, February the 6th is our Prove the Tithe Sunday. But I want to talk to you about this whole matter of uh, stewardship. M- one of my favorite devotional uh, writers is Oswald Chambers. I don't know if you've ever read his stuff, my utmost for his highest, but it's some of my favorite. This is what he said talking about stewardship. Listen, he said, worship is giving God the best that he has given you. Be careful what you do with the best you have. Whenever you get a blessing from God, give it back to him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to him in a deliberate act of worship. If you hoard a thing for yourself, it will turn into spiritual dry rot, just as the manna did when Israel hoarded it. God will never let you hold a spiritual thing for yourself. It has to be given back to him that he may make it a blessing. Now, when we use the term stewardship, stewardship relates to all of you. I mean, individually, it relates to all of your life, uh, everything about you. For example, it relates to your God-given time. Your time has been given to you by God. In fact, we know that because the Bible says um, that all the days of my life were written in your book, Lord, before there ever was one. Did you know that about yourself? That all the days of your life have been written down in God's book before you ever lived the first one. All of us have an amount of time, a measure of time. And that is given to us by God, but we are to steward that time. We're to be stewards of that time, all right? The second thing we all understand is that we are to be stewards of our ability and our our gifts, our talents, those sorts of things. The Bible teaches that God has gifted you. He's created you with certain abilities and talents. And those things are a trust from him, just like your time is, and therefore are to be stewarded, to be managed appropriately, Because one day, you and I are going to give an account for those things. And then, of course, there is the matter of the stewardship of your resources, the financial and the material things that God has entrusted to you. Those are also given to you by God. And all of these together are from God. They're actually not ours. They are His. And the parable of the talents teaches us that one day we will answer for how we stewarded 
those sorts of things. I think that probably makes sense to most people. Rick Warren said this. He said, at the end of your life on earth, you will be evaluated and rewarded according to how well you handle what God entrusted to you. And it's true. You and I will. Okay, you say. I get that, Pastor. And by the way, if you're, if you're here, you say, uh, or, or guess, or that sort of thing, say, yeah, you know, the word out there is always all they ever talk about at church is money. Well, let me just say this to you. That's not true, but it is today. You just happen to hit on that day. Sorry if you are, uh, are convicted by that. But there are no coincidences with God, right? And so uh, you say, so, okay, I get the whole stewardship thing. But when it comes to stewardship, why is it that we mostly talk about money? Good question. Because, let's be honest, when we, when we do talk about stewardship, we, we do mostly talk about money. Would you agree with that, that statement? We say time and we say talents and, and we preach some messages like that. But frankly, not too many are preached about what I'm talking about today because People get kind of uncomfortable when you talk about those. Now, see, I'm an older man now, and when I was young in the ministry, I always was afraid to talk about these kinds of things because I didn't want to. I didn't want people to be uncomfortable. I didn't want people to say, "Well, we don't like that message, Pastor," and that sort of thing. And but as I got older, I began to realize I wasn't doing the Church of God a service if I'm trying to teach them how to walk with God and how to live a victorious life. And I didn't teach them about something that is talked about so frequently in the Scripture, and that is the stewardship of the financial matters of our life. So you say, okay, I get it. So why is it, though, that it always gets back mostly to this whole area of possessions and money? Two reasons. Let me give them to you. First of all, it is, it is because this is one of the most talked about matters in all of Scripture, and it was one of the most, the first or second most thing, depending on who you talk to, that Jesus discussed in the Gospels. Do you know that? Eleven of the parables have to deal with financial stewardship. Uh, we see things, the stories of the rich young ruler. Uh, it, has been, it, it has been said that one out of every seven verses in the Gospel eventually gets back to financial stewardship. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. He was talking about, guess what? He used money as an example, that rich young ruler. He used money as an example. There's the parable of the man who built the barns. It's all about stewardship, those sorts of things. So you have to understand, we, we do talk about these things because Jesus, it was one of the primary things Jesus talked about, one of the most talked about subjects that Jesus had. The second reason is nothing reflects our commitment to Christ, like how we manage the, the entrustments of material things and money. Nothing. I, as, in all these years, over four decades now, uh, I've, I've never seen anything that had the potential to create discomfort like this. Think about it. If I say today, if I had to advertise to you today, we're going to be talking about victorious time management. You know what? And, and if there wasn't COVID, people would say, oh, man, I want to hear that thing because everybody wants to learn how to manage their time better, right? And so we might have said, oh, yeah, man, I love it when he talks about what does the Bible say about my time and all that, okay? Yeah, I, I, over four decades, never had anybody get upset because I talked about what God says about time. 
Or how about talents or gifts? Okay, you come, we're going to talk about the victorious use of your gifts and your ability. Oh, man, I want to hear that. I want to discover my spiritual gifts. I want to see how I can use those. But no problem. But if you say, let's talk about victorious financial stewardship. Ooh, I'm not feeling so good today. You know? (laughs) Are y'all with me? You understand what I'm saying? But the fact is, it's just there. And if... If we're going to get the full counsel of God's Word, and this year we're reading through the Bible again, if I'm going to give you the full counsel of God's Word, guess what? I've got to preach all of it. I have to preach all of it. I had a couple in my church in St. Petersburg years ago, and they'd been visiting. They never would join, and that just puzzled me. They they, They wouldn't join, but they were coming faithfully. And then one Sunday, I preached on this subject. And at the invitation time, they stunned me. They, they came forward at the invitation time. They joined the church, and I said, well, so good to have you. They said, here's what they said to me. I'm saying, you wonder, sometimes there's not much said down here, okay, if you just want to. But they said, Pastor, we're ready to join. I said, well, wonderful. I said, i kind of been waiting. And they said, we were waiting to see if you would preach all of God's Word. And today we know that you will. Well, we have to, right? Because it's there. You know, sometimes, you know, you've heard this expression, the big elephant in the room. Well, sometimes uh, that's the way Scripture can feel toward it. Oh, that's an uncomfortable big elephant in the room. We have to deal with it. We have to understand what God says uh, about it. And so that's what, now, hey, the good news is I don't have to preach about it a lot. You know what, Ridgecrest of the years, I used to have to preach about it a lot more when, in the early years here, but, but we have grown in that area so well that I, I just don't have to preach about it too much here. And, and that's because you've, you've been so good at it, and I think you've heard through the years, and you got it, and you understand this is part of it. So I hadn't had to, to preach about it much over the years. But let me just make a statement there. You say, whew, good. If we were perfect, let's say we were perfect as a, as a, a flock of God uh, in this whole matter of financial. If we were perfect, we're, y'all, y'all are good. But if we were perfect at it, let me tell you something. Do you know I'd still preach on this? I would still preach on this, and I would preach on it because it's in God's Word. And because if you're going to be victorious, you need to understand this, or you're going you're to limp along and not be completely uh, living in the victorious life. So, with that in mind, I want to read the text. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me? Begin in verse 30, Now I want to show you four things this morning. Verse 30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. I'll explain that a little bit later on. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. I'll explain that a little bit later on. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Now again, Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now this was God's law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was given to him for the people of God, for their instruction. And the fact is, you and I, we often say this, we're under grace, and we are under grace. Thank God for grace, 
We're under grace. We're under his grace. But here's what, that doesn't nullify the law. As I'll talk about a little bit later on, Jesus affirms the law. But here's what we have to still understand, and that is the law is still God's instructor. It still teaches us. And the fact is, holy people have to remember that God's law has valued, and when it's partnered under the grace of God, it brings great meaning to life and liberty. And in this passage, God's people are being instructed on this whole matter of tithing. Tithe, if you're not familiar with that term, means a tenth. And God is instructing his people on giving uh, a tenth. Now, notice that their tithe was multifaceted. Did you notice that as we read? It was multifaceted. They were to give a tithe from all that grew in the ground, and then they were to give a tithe or a tenth of their herds and their flocks. Now, if they wanted to, they could keep all that grew from the ground. Okay, Did that, Go back to that statement where it says you can redeem it. So they, let's say they grow this big crop. What they would do is they'd grow their crops, and then they'd take them to markets, open markets, and then they would sell their crops, you know, of course, like any farmer would do. But God had told them when you grow the crop, before you go to market, whatever the value of it is, you know, a tenth goes to God, all right? Or a tenth of the physical crop goes to God. That would go to the, 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 the temple or the tabernacle, I should say, uh, to, uh, for the work of God to be done, all right? So, but he says, but if you want to redeem the produce, in other words, you say, I want all the produce. Uh, I want to market it all. I want to sell, you know, uh, a a vast amount of it, and I want to keep some of it for my family and everything. He said, you could redeem it. Now, here's, how do you redeem, redeem this? See, he says, give me a tenth of all the produce. Here's how you redeem it. He says, if you want to redeem it, he said, essentially, you would take and figure out what is the value of the produce, all of it. Here's the I don't know a better way to say it. Here's market values. That makes sense? Here's what, here's what it's going to sell for if we put it out in the market. But you want to keep it. Instead of taking a tenth of it and give it to God, he says what you can do is figure out what a tenth of the market value would be and then add uh, to it 20%. Instead of 10%, you add 20% and you, you redeem it. So it's all yours, but you get, then turn and monetarily give the 20%. If that makes sense. So that's what he meant by redeeming. So you could do that uh, if you wanted to. The bottom line was God was teaching them to tithe obediently. Uh, And it was then, and it remains today, frankly, a commanded expression of worship. And it is an ever-present reminder to us of our dependence on God and our relationship as his steward. Now, I got to, when I was working on the message, I got to study what kind of economic systems have, has historically have we seen throughout the world. And so I started studying. I'm not going to go into each one of them in any detail. There are a lot of different um, uh, ways that uh, economic systems are identified. But essentially, the pros got down to four different historical um, economic systems, some still active today. And the first is traditional economy. The second is a command economy. That's where socialism and communism come in. The government uh, decides how everything's going to be financially managed. There's a market economy. That's typically where we put capitalism where, w- that we have. And then there's a mixed economy, which is a conglomeration of different aspects of all of these. But historically, these have been the four categories of economic systems. And they've had varying degrees of success and some great failure. But there is another economic system that they don't mention. And this economic system never failed and never will fail. It's God's economic system. 
It has endured the ages. And not only is it, see, I mean, we go all the way back here. In fact, you can go really beyond that, all the way back to Melchizedek in, in Genesis. And then Deuteronomy, it was established officially about this whole idea of God's economy operates with a tenth going back to God. But it's never failed for the people of God. It's endured the ages, and it impacts eternity. It makes a difference. There will be people in eternity because you tithe. Why? Because the work of God is enabled. And when the work of God, there are people, think about this, there are people when you give, when you tithe, that come to know God that you will never know until you get to heaven. But, but God was using the process, the economy that he had set up. Now, if you aren't a victorious steward of the trust that God has given to you, you'll never completely be a victorious Christian. And that's why I want to talk to you about that. I want to give you four things. Number one, victorious stewardship. What does it look like? Well, it recognizes God's ownership. That's number one. It recognizes God's ownership. Now, keep your Bible open. I'll show you a couple of things here. And verse 30 says, every tithe of the land, it is the Lord's. Now, here's what I want you to get. When you recognize God's ownership, we'd say, we'd say it more like this. Everything belongs to God. Does that make sense? Everything belongs to God. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in, uh, therein. Everything belongs to God. Uh, not some of it, not most of it, all of it belongs to God. It's all His. Now, because He owns it all, He has the authority to do three things with it. This isn't on your outline, but write these down. He's the, he has the authority. If, if he owns it all, there are three things he can do with it. There are probably a lot more if we wanted to get technical, but three primary things. Number one, he has the authority to give a little bit to you. He has authority to give a little bit to you. Uh, Job said, um, naked was I born, um, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has the authority to give you a little bit. And, um, and that's important to know. See we, see, we get in this whole mindset of you've, trying to keep up with the Joneses. You ever heard that? I don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, y'all think about that. But... Uh, but you, you know what I mean? Well, we gotta, we got to do... And a lot, of, a lot of people get themselves in trouble financially because they get extended because they're trying to be like people that they don't make as much, they don't have as much, and they're trying to keep up with people. They don't. Do you know, you know that's poor stewardship? God may give you a little. You say, well, I want a lot. I just hang on. God, but God has the right to just say, I'm giving you a little. He has a right to say, Chuck, I'm going to give you this much. Robert, I'm going to give you this much. Bradley, I'm going to give you this month, and it's all different amounts, and he doesn't have to explain himself. He doesn't have to say, now let me tell you why I only gave you this much, and why I gave you this much, and why I gave you this much. It's all based on what he put you here to do, okay? It's all a part of that. So he may give you a little and you a lot, uh, but he doesn't have to say, well, i got to give it all equally. Have y'all seen the AT&T commercial? Y'all seen this recently, haven't you? The family standing there, and the, the lady says, okay, we have these plans, and the plan is fair to everybody. And she hands the little girl this sucker. Have y'all seen that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? She hands his brother this lollipop. And her, the little girl says, that's not fair. 
So she hands her the same kind of lollipop, takes the sucker back. You know, that's right. The whole idea is what? We are fair. What we give to one, we give to all, that kind of thing. Now, in this world, that's what we think, right? Well, you know, you've got to be equitable. You've got to be fair about everything, which, by the way, never happens anyway. That's the whole idea behind socialism and communism, and they have failed catastrophically throughout history. But so God doesn't go, oh, if I give you this, I have to give you this. But here's the good news. You're not responsible for what you don't have. Right? I've had people say, well, I I don't make very much, so I can't tithe very much. Look, it's not about that. It's just about obedience. I'll tell you why God asked that of us in just a moment. But so, so you don't have to be responsible for what you don't have. So if God gives somebody more, you're not responsible for the more. You're just responsible for what he's entrusted to you. Right? Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to camp here. Do like this means, yeah, we got it. Well, move on. So God has the authority. He's the owner of He has the authority to give you a little, right? Number two, because he is the owner of it all, God has the authority to give you a lot. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it, that he can give you a lot? The Bible says of Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of of his Egyptian master. Now Joseph rose up to a place of great prominence because God was with him and God used him and he obeyed God and God blessed him. He was the second most powerful and wealthy man in the land of Egypt because God was with him and God, God used him and he obeyed God and God prospered him. God prospered him. But that was God saying, I'm going to prosper him as, he, as long as he obeys me. I'm giving him a lot. But to whom much is given, much is expected. The scripture says. And so, so God has the sovereign right to give you a little or to give you a lot. And he doesn't have to explain himself. Right? So, so remember that. Now here's the third thing. Because God is the owner, not only does he have the authority to give you a little. And by the way, if you're obedient with little, guess what he, he says? He says, I will entrust you with more. But you start with what you've got. He has promised to always take care of us when we obey him with these matters. That's a promise. All right? So he has the authority to give you a little bit. He has the authority to give you a lot. Now listen to this. And he has the authority to take away what you got. He has the, the authority. I used to, when I was young, I, there was a, I would preach sometimes Malachi 3. I preached it many times here over the year. Where God tells us about tithing and open the, and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing more than you can contain. He says that sort of thing. And then he says to these people, he says, but you are cursed with a curse. These were God's people. And you know why they were cursed? Because he said, you're robbing me. Because they, they weren't tithing. By the way, this isn't to assess guilt, so please understand. I'm just, this is just what it says. And if, if you're uncomfortable, you don't like that, don't shoot me. I'm the messenger. But so, so um, God says to them, you're cursed with a curse. They said, how are we cursed? He said, because you're robbing me in tithes and offering. And so they were cursed. And he would talk about the, the ground, which they, they drew their living from. And it was, it was cursed, okay? So, 
what was he saying? Look, I have a way to do it, and if you do it, then I can favor that. If you don't, look, I can, I can take away what I've given. I, that's not a threat. It's just simply the Word of God, and I'm not trying to send you out here saying, oh, no. But, but when I was a young man, I wouldn't preach that because I thought that people won't like that part of it. They'll like the part where he opens up the windows of heaven, but they don't like the part where he says that you're cursed with a curse. So, all right, you got that? So God uh, has the authority to give you a little. He owns it all. He has authority to give you a lot. He owns it all. He has the authority to take away what you got, all right? All three of those point to one overwhelming fact, and that is that God has entrusted us with his resources, and he expects us to be stewards, okay? Author and pastor Randy Alcorn uh, said this. He said, I came to understand that if God was the owner, I was the manager, So I needed, if I'm the manager, to adopt a steward's mentality toward the assets that he has entrusted me, not given to me, but entrusted to me. A steward manages the assets of their owner. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets that he manages. It's just his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then carry out his will. That's that's the whole thing that we have to understand, that God owns it all. He can give a little. He can give a lot. uh, He can take what we got. Number two, the second thing I want you to see from the passage is that victorious stewardship reveres God's holiness. Again, in verse 30, notice what he says about the tithe. It is holy to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Uh, Former pastor and NFL uh, chaplain Kirk Nowry said this. He said, the stewardship of our resources is a serious business, and it is God's will that we give it serious attention. This demands that we have the right perspective on our resources and that uh, uh, it is possible only, and that is possible only if we have the right focus on our source. In other words, so we'll deal with them properly, not if we, as we look at them, but as we look at him. We see him, we understand he is holy, and therefore we understand that what he has entrusted to us is holy. That's what he said, it is holy to the Lord. So what you've been entrusted, big or small, is, is a trust from God that is holy. It is holy to him. Stewardship understands more than the command to give. It recognizes the significance of the gift and that the gift that we return to him is holy. In 1880, Queen Victoria gave President Rutherford B. Hayes an ornate desk that was made from the wood of the HMS Resolute. That desk now sits in the, uh, the Oval Office of the White House, and it's been there for decades, and it's called the Resolute Desk. You can go online and pick up pictures. It's a magnificent desk. Queen Victoria gave that to Rutherford B. Hayes. But it, it is probably the most well-known of the gifts that have been exchanged between various dignitaries. That's a pretty uh, uh, natural thing. That So if you go and visit one dignitary, they bring a gift and vice versa, and We've had some presidents have received some pretty bizarre gifts over the years. For example, Teddy Roosevelt received a zebra and a lion from Ethiopia. What do you do with that? You know, let's go out and see the lion, or maybe we can put it in a cage and lay down in here and not eat people. Richard Nixon received a panda from China. George uh, Bush, uh, this is kind of one of my favorite. George W. Bush received 300 pounds of raw lamb from Argentina. What do you do with that? Oh, hey, guys, cook it fast. 300 pounds of it. And also the president of Bulgaria sent him a puppy. Great Britain and Northern Ireland 
gave President Obama a package of sea salt, a small fabric-covered personal journal, journal, and a set of four coasters. Here's our gift to you, you know. This has been kind of the characteristic. Why, why are those things done? Why are the exchanges there? The exchanges were always and are always about honoring a dignitary or a king or a leader, that sort of thing. Well, giving to God is the same thing. When you give obediently, it is a way that you acknowledge the holiness of God. It's a way that you recognize his high position. When you give back to God, it's like saying, God, not only do you own everything, but because of who you are, your, because of your highness, your majesty, your holiness, not only do, do you own everything, God, I'm just giving back to you to say you deserve everything. You remember when the Magi came and they found Jesus? Y'all remember that? They came and found What do we always talk about the Christmas story when the Magi came? What did they do, class? Somebody tell me. They brought what? Gifts. And they recognized that he was a king. Where is this king? That was the question they asked. He's a baby in a manger. But they knew he was a king, and they brought gifts befitting a king. These things they brought uh, were not uh, coasters. They weren't sea salt. Oh, Jesus, here's some sea salt. They brought gold, silver, and frank. These were elaborate and ornate gifts. That's what they brought to him as an infant because they recognized his majesty. They recognized his holiness. And then notice verse 33 down there. It says that you, one shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. You know, what in the world is that talking about? I'm glad you asked. Here's what it's talking about. It was God's rule. God is so smart. He knows our nature, right? And so God makes a preemptive rule before we get a chance to mess it up. And here's what would happen. Okay, so you remember that they were to give a tenth of their produce, right? They were to give a tenth of their livestock, their cattle. They were to give a tenth. That means one, one out of every ten belonged to God. They were to be given to God, okay? And here's how they would do that. The, the, they would count them off with the shepherd's staff. One. See, it says it passed under the shepherd's staff. One, two, three, four. And when they got to the tenth one, they would say, that's God's. One, two, three, four, ten. That's God's. Right? All right. So Jesus, knowing human nature, said you can't substitute for number ten. Because here's what human nature would have said. Look. Number 10 is going to God. It's not going to be, I got a sick one over here. I'm going to substitute the sick one for the healthy one. Oh, God, the sick one is yours. Just so happened number 10 was sick. We got what God says, no substitutes. Now, by the way, if number 10 happened to be sick, it was still holy to God, right? God didn't say, uh, replace that one. He just said, number 10 is mine. Don't try to substitute. God knows our heart, doesn't he? We try to get around. We try to wiggle around. Somebody <laughs> asked me one time, they said, Pastor, uh, do we tithe on the gross or the net? My answer, which one do you want God to bless? If you want him to bless the gross, then tithe on the gross. I tithe on the gross. I put it in, put it in coming into the building this morning. Allison, I tithe. We've been doing it. And by the way, I'm not just a theoretician. Y'all do this. I'm a practitioner. I've been doing it since I was a teenager. I've done it, Allison, I've done it when we didn't know how we were going to do it. I'll be honest. But I never missed a bill, and I never missed a meal. 
I mean, God has taken care of, of, of us. I mean, he's just, I don't ask me. I, I, I've done it when, well, on paper, we didn't have it to do. When it just, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it worked. And I can't explain it sometimes. I just can't explain it, but it did. So I'm not a theoretician. Here's a, here's a lofty idea, you know. Uh, uh, look, and by the way, I practice what I preach. So I'm not saying over here, y'all do this, you know, for the church. Or for, uh, this is an act to God. Somebody said to me one time, they said, Pastor, we're not always in agreement with how church spends its money. I said, I'm the pastor and neither am I. But I don't give my money that way. I give my money to the Lord. I'm giving my money to the Lord. And I'll let God sort all that stuff out. Amen? Now, I'm not talking about we shouldn't have good stewardship, you know, in the institutes and organizations, all that sort of stuff. So, at any rate, so, so, but God is smart enough to know we try to weave a way around. And so he puts in here a preemptive, a preemptive rule so that, that he knew well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to substitute. I'm gonna, God says no substitute. The fact is you can't fool God about your gifts. There's no substitute for what God commands. Victoria Stewardship understands that our giving reflects our attitude about the holiness of God. Um, by the way, somebody's asked me, Pastor, you know what everybody gives? Nope. And that's on purpose. I don't know. If you walk out of this place today, I have no idea what you're giving. I don't look. I don't want to look. I don't want to get depressed. I don't look because I don't want to minister to people on the basis of that. Oh, they give me a bunch. They don't give me much. I don't want to minister. So I just don't look. I don't know. Some pastors do. I don't. You can, you can know that. Chuck will tell you. I don't, look at, I don't look at that. I don't even. I have people come up sometimes and say, Pastor, I forgot to put it. Here's my money. You know, I say, would you turn that face down? Or would you put it in here and I'll let somebody take it out? I don't want to know. I just don't want to know because I don't want to build my ministry that way. So, you know, if that, if that helps you and you're not tithing, then, then that, may, that may help you. I don't know. Uh, and, but here's the third thing. Let me move uh, through these last two pretty quick. Victorious stewardship reflects God's graciousness. How? How does victorious re- reflect God's graciousness? Doesn't that reflect my graciousness? No, hang on. Let me show you why. Look at verse 30, the very first two words. Every tithe. Now, what did I say a tithe was? Somebody tell me. What does it represent? I'm going to have to keep going. You aren't getting it. Uh, What does it represent? Somebody tell me. Say it out loud. Tenth. It represents a tenth. So notice every tenth, if you want to translate it that way, every tenth. Now, how does that reflect God's graciousness? Okay, here's the answer. Because it's just a tenth. Now, go back to the first point. Remember, we have to recognize God's ownership. Now, if God owns it all... God could have said, you give me 90% and you live on 10%. Would he be justified in doing that class? If he owns it all, he could say, ah, 90% to me, I'll let you live on 10%. Or 75% to me, 25% to you. He could have said, the 10th is a gracious expression of God's uh, provision and care for us. Because he could have, could have asked for far more. And, and it, it shows how much he loves us. What is he doing with the tenth? He's not saying, I've got to have it, I got to have it in heaven to live on. That's not what God's doing. You know what the tenth does? It tells us we know we are dependent on you. By the way, people pay more than that on their credit cards. 
people will certainly pay the IRS more than that. And yet when God says a tenth, we go, a tenth? Why should I give God a tenth? It's grace. He could say, I want the whole nine. And by the way, if he wanted to get 90%, he could get it too. Right? It's not a threat. It's, just, <laughs> it's a fact. But he's gracious because he doesn't. Listen to Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. <gasps> I thought I did that. Man, I went to school a long time, earned my degree so I could get the kind of job that I could earn the kind of money. Nothing wrong with any of that. But do you realize that if that's true of you, it's only because of the grace of God? Because as Deuteronomy says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with you and your fathers. It is God that enables us I've heard people say, well, uh, you know, God's promised to provide for me. And then they say, but I'm not going to work in that job. Or I'm not going to work in that job. That may be God's provision. Hello? I was a young man. I was a young man, and I was a starving student who had practiced this. And I had some, some, really today, what would be considered small bills. But when you don't have any money, they're big bills. Amen? And um, I was praying, God, I don't know how I'm going to meet these. Uh, one was my car insurance. And I, I said, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to take care of that, but I'm trusting you. And I, I was talking, well, uh, I said, God, would, would you provide my needs here? The next day, I was a part-time youth pastor in a, in a church, going to school, um, trying to figure out, you know, they couldn't, that little church couldn't pay me hardly anything. And so I just prayed, God, you, I, here's, what, here's the deal. The next day, a man in my church, he had no idea. He walked up to me and he said, Ray, he said, um, beginning next week, we have, a, we have a guy going on vacation. Our company is a big, it's a massive coal company here in Alabama, a drum and coal company. And he said, we need a mail clerk. And it was summer. He said, would it be possible for the next two weeks for you to work? We'll, he'll show you. If you'll come up tomorrow, he'll show you how to push the card around to all these executive offices and deliver their mail, mail to them, that sort of stuff. And you've got to go to the post office a couple of times you know, a day and pick up our mail and that sort of stuff. I said, man, he said, and it'll pay you. And the amount was exactly what I needed to take care of my, my expenses. Now, I could have said, no, I'm waiting on God. God will take care of me. That was God taking care of me. Right? He provided a means by which I could, and by the way, I tithed off of it as well. I just want you to get it. I, I just want you to get it. Once a man said, if I had some extra money, I'd give it to God. But I have just enough to sort myself and my family. The same man said, if I had some extra time, I'd give it to God. But every minute is taken up with my job, my family, my clubs, and, you know, what have you. Every single minute's taken up. And the same man said, if I had a talent, I'd give it to God. But I don't have a lovely voice. I have no special skill. 
I've never been able to lead a group. I can't think cleverly or quickly the way I wish I could. And God was touched. And so, although it was unusual, God gave that man money. And then God gave him time. And God gave him a glorious talent. And then God waited. And waited. And waited. And waited. And then after a while, God shrugged his shoulders and he took all those things right back from the man. The money, the time, and the glorious talent. And after a while, the man sighed and said to God, If only I had some of that money back, I'd give it to you. If only I had some of that time, I'd give it to you, God. If only I could rediscover that glorious talent, I'd give it to you, God. And God said, Oh, shut up. And then the man went and told his friends, You know, I'm not sure that I believe in God anymore. You get it? You get the point of that story? See, God is gracious, both in what he requires and what he gives. In fact, in Romans 5, God says this, but, or the Scripture says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has set the pace. God has uh, uh, demonstrated his love and his stewardship and his generosity in giving his son for us. Now, I've heard this over the years as a pastor. Well, I'm not under the law. Have you ever heard that? We're not under the law. We're under grace. And because we're under grace, 10% is no longer a requirement. My answer is, if that's your position, then why would you do less under grace than the law commanded? If the law was burdensome and said 10%, why would you do less than that? In fact, wouldn't grace cause you to say, I'm not under the law God, what can I do? Do you know Jesus even talked about that? Jesus addressed that whole matter. There were people saying, this is what the law says, that's all I'm doing. He said, well, wait a minute. If the law requires you to go one mile, then you go two miles. He didn't say, well, if the law requires you to go one mile, you're not going to be under the law, you're under grace, then you just go a half a mile. Say, I'm not, you tell that Roman centurion, I'm under grace. I'm gonna, I'll give you a half a mile, that's all I'm going to give you. No, Jesus said, if the law compels you to do this, go beyond the law. That's what grace says. Victorious stewardship expresses giving grace into, in response to the grace that God has demonstrated toward. And here's the last thing, we're done. <clears throat> Victorious stewardship responds to God's commands. Do you, do you see verse 34? These are the commandments that the Lord commanded. This is something God said to do. It is a command. It isn't, some, it isn't here's a thought, here's an option for you. And Jesus made an interesting statement. Again, back to the whole idea of the law. Well, aren't we, aren't we supposed to, you know, um, uh, uh, live under this grace thing? Yes, the answer is, but it doesn't nullify the law. Jesus said this with Matthew 5, verse 17 and following. If, if you ever hear that kind of argument, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do you get that? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
And then he goes on. Now listen to this. Therefore, in other words, based on what I just said, I didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Did you get that? He just blew the whole thing of, I'm not under the law. He just said, no, no, no. He said, whoever teaches that I don't have to do that, he said, that's least in the kingdom. These things still work, but they're under grace, all right? I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them under grace. I, we can fulfill these things. I read that when Edward VI, the king of England in the 16th century, would attend a worship service, that he would stand. You know what we do a lot of times when we read the Scriptures? That he would stand. I don't know if that's where it originated. I think it originated in the books of Ezra, Nehemiah and Ezra, where they would come and stand before the Lord and hear it. But the king, King Edward, he would stand when, when the word of God was read. And then when he sat down and the preacher began to preach, he would start taking notes. And he would take these notes pretty carefully. And then it is said that after uh, uh, he had taken those notes and after he had gone back, I guess, to the palace, he would sit down with his notes and he would review them very, very carefully. And then he would seek earnestly to apply them and figure out how he could obey uh, by putting them into practice. That's a pretty serious-minded kind of response to truth. And it's the same kind of response that should characterize us. Just a single revealed fact, like being a steward, cherishing that idea in our heart and acting upon it, listen, is far more, far more vital to a victorious Christian life than a head full of knowledge about God. It's far more valuable when we put something in motion that God has said than just knowing a lot about God. Look, victorious Living is founded in obedience. And you do not experience victory by picking and choosing what you will obey and what you won't obey. Let me close by telling you a story I think that illustrates it so well. Archibald Rutledge wrote that one day he met a man whose dog had just been killed in a forest fire. And the man was heartbroken and he began to explain to Rutledge how it had happened See, the man said he worked outdoors, he worked in the forest, and he often would take his dog with him. And that particular morning, he left his dog in a clearing, and he gave him a command to stay and watch his lunch pail. Stay. Watch this. And he went on into the, to the, the forest a little further to start working, and a, and a, a fire started. And... Um, Soon the blaze spread to the very spot where the dog was. But the dog didn't move. And when all was out, they found the remains of the dog there by the lunch bucket. And the man told Rutledge, he said, he stayed right where he was told to stay. Perfect obedience. And with tears in his eyes, the man said, I always had to be careful what I told my dog. Whatever I told him to do, I had to be careful because I knew he would do it. Dear friend, if a dog can get it, can't we? If a dog can get that, can't we? Isn't it enough 
for us to say, God told me to do something, and I am going to do it. That's enough for me. Did you know that, the, that, that that's victorious stewardship? But let me just tell you this. Victorious stewardship begins even further back than that. Before you can be a victorious steward in your talent, your time, and your treasure, you've got to give something else to God. You've got to give Him you. That's where it starts. In fact, if you get it in reverse, it'll just be frustrating for you. So you've got to get it right there. The, the greatest thing you can give God, first and foremost, is your soul. And so I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. No one's looking about in this place. You may be watching by live stream. And I want to ask you the same question I'm asking in this place. Have you given your eternal soul to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, this is the moment of stewardship. Giving back to God what he has given to you, your soul. So that he can redeem your soul and give you new life. If you haven't done that, that's where you start. Forget all the other stuff I said. That's first and foremost the most important thing that you give to God. How do you do that? Right now in your heart, you call out to him. You say something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for demonstrating giving by giving your life for mine on the cross. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. And I want to live, Father, the way you've designed me. I want to be your steward. And so right now, I begin by giving my soul to you. Come into my life and be my Savior. Now, I can assure you, if you call on him like that, he's already promised, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He will hear that prayer. And he's given us a promise in his word. Whosoever receives him, uh, believes in him, to him he gave them the right to become children of God. Maybe today you're here and you just need to say, Lord, what you've spoken, I know what you've spoken to my heart about. And Lord, there's some things I need to give to you. There may be some baggage in your life, some garbage in your life, and it's crept back in and it, it's, it's replaced God's lordship. Would you just tell him right now, Lord, here, I, name it, name it, name it. I've already done this in my own life today. I give this to you. Is there something you need to give to him? You give it, Lord, and then make me a steward of all of my life for all of my days for you. Now, Lord, would you hear these prayers that have been offered up in Jesus' name? Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation time? I'll be here at the front. Chuck and Chase are down here as well, and maybe there's a decision for you to make before we're gone. We'll be gone soon. Balcony, ground floor. Would you just slip out from where you are? Come to one of us. You say, I want to, maybe you need to join Ridgecrest. You know Christ is your Savior, but you want to join this place? We'd love to have you. We're not a perfect place, and I'm not a perfect pastor, and these aren't perfect people, but we're healthy, and we'd love for you to be a part. Why don't you slip out? Come on. Maybe you want to come and pray around this altar. It's open for you. Take advantage of it. Maybe you want to come and say, I, I gave my heart and my soul to Jesus today. What do I do next? And we'll help you with that, okay? We're not going to embarrass you in any way. We just, you just come and say, this is the decision I've made. You ready? As Bradley plays and sings, you slip out. You come on. We're here to receive you right now. You come on.